Greetings, greenhouse people, and welcome to another installment of Tech on Demand, where our goal is always to bring you tips, tricks, and information to produce your best crops ever. I'm your host, Bill Calkins, and I'm happy to be joined once again by Nick Flax, a newer technical services member at Ball Horticultural Company and part of the Ball Tech on Demand team, but he is definitely not new to the industry. He cut his teeth in extension, he's worked in greenhouses, and was definitely loved by the growers in the regions that he worked with. He is a technical services specialist at Ball, and he's well-versed in a diverse range of crops. So Nick, how's it going out there leading into spring? What are you hearing? Good stuff? Yeah, uh, thankfully hearing, hearing lots, of, uh, lots of good stuff, getting a lot of good questions. Uh, a lot of growers are interested in, you know, uh, I, I'm getting a lot of scheduling, you know, crop scheduling questions and uh, crop specific things, but everything from uh, everything from foliage plants to bedding plants to garden veggie transplants. And so it's, uh, it's been a, a busy, busy start to the 21 spring, or 2021 spring season. Definitely, definitely. And uh, I suspect that's going to probably continue throughout the year. So I can't, I can't wait to hear you uh, bring some of your knowledge uh, in, into this discussion because we're back to talk about at-risk crops and the inherent challenges with specific crops grown in greenhouses across North America. Like I've been saying, assuming you're following along with the series because there's a lot of uh, episodes now, the at-risk crops are the commonly grown plants that often come under pressure from specific pests or diseases. So Nick's going to join us this time to talk about basil, which is a very critical herb crop grown by many greenhouse professionals across North America and around the world. So Nick, why don't you go ahead and share your screen and jump into basil, which is one of my favorite herb crops. <laughs> um, and just as a reminder, if you go back into our at-risk series on podcast or on video, you will find an overview presentation on at-risk crops covering uh, the disease triangle um, that, that does affect just about all crops out there and specifically in this at-risk category. And I'll put a link to that in the show notes. Um, so Nick, why don't you go ahead and, uh, and get us started on, on basil, mostly because I really like it on pizza and I want <laughs> growers to produce a heck of a lot of it. And maybe talk a little bit about the risk factors specific to basil, because I think you're probably going to focus a lot on downy mildew, right? Yeah, yeah. And we're actually in, in this talk, we're going to focus exclusively on basil downy mildew. Um, but before I get started, I do want to I do want to um, make one one note, one point of information. In our discussion today, we're talking strictly about greenhouse production of container grown basil. So they're, you know, for, for, so these are basically being sold as garden transplants. These, you know, we're not talking about hydroponically grown basil that's being harvested for fresh mass. We're talking about container grown plants because when it comes, when, when it gets down to uh, managing basil downy mildew using different fungicide chemistries, there are, there are some, um, there are some kind of stricter rules that need to be observed with what can and can't be used for these two different kind of categories of basil uh, production. So again, we're focusing today on container grown basil being sold to consumers essentially as garden transplants, not immediately fresh consumable mass. So the ones I'm going to be putting in my garden in the backyard is coming. Yeah. Yep. Yep. So ones ones that you would reasonably be take you know purchasing from a garden center and planting, growing out into a larger plant, and then harvesting uh, harvesting that yummy basil off of them. Gotcha. <clears throat> okay. So like I said, we're going to focus exclusively on basil downy mildew because as much as fusarium and, and other um, other diseases are certainly problematic for basil, uh, downy mildew is the elephant in the room. 
Um, so uh, Paranospora species, so it's in, it's in the same group, it's in the same, uh, you know, water mold, oomycete family um, as the pathogens that cause downy mildew in other crops, cucumber downy mildew, uh, coleus downy mildew, impatiens downy mildew, but it's not the same organism. Um, now, granted, on a biological level, on a, you know, on a sort of how, how it works and how it grows level, it's pretty similar. So um, if you've seen our present, our at-risk crops discussion on managing impatience downy mildew, you may see some similarities between management strategies um, for uh, basal downy mildew. But this is, this is a very aggressive pathogen um, and it can spread really easily um, its spores can be windborne and can blow a really long distance. Um, and due to its aggressive nature and, uh, it, it's there, it's even, even with chemistries that are available that are effective for, for controlling it, it, you know, you, you need to get your timing just right. You need to make sure that you're rotating modes of action because, it can build up resistance to different chemistries pretty easily. Um, if you get basal downy mildew in your crops, it will most certainly render them unsaleable. Um, you know, once, so the early symptoms are kind of just chlorosis, you know, it starts to, it initially looks like uh, just kind of a, a mineral nutrient deficiency um, symptoms. Now, something to remember, Herbs and other garden veggie transplants generally can be grown pretty lean. So if you're water, you know, if you're if you're feeding every time you water, you know, at like 75 to 100 parts per million of nitrogen from a from a balanced complete fertilizer, the likelihood that you're going to run into nutrient deficiencies is pretty slim. So if you've been doing a good job managing your fertilizer program. And all of a sudden, you start to see chlorosis in your uh, in your in your basil crops. That's a really good early warning sign. Um, and as I said, if it gets into your crops, it will render them totally unsaleable. Herbs is one of those groups of crops where any damage to the foliage really is unacceptable. You know, consumers look at it and they'll go, "Ooh, what's wrong with that plant?" And they won't want to buy it. Um, so, the the species of basil that downy mildew is more of a problem on is Osmum basilicum. So this is your, you know, this encompasses a whole bunch of different basil cultivars out there, but these are your, you know, your, your large leaf, your Genovese site, you know, type basils that everyone loves, that everyone's got in their gardens, um, that we use really commonly in cooking. Um, Osmum uh, citriodorum and Americanum, um, these are, you know, you know, like lemon basil is a citriodorum. So there, there are some varieties that are less susceptible, but they are still susceptible. They still can get downy mildew. Um, so just keep that in mind. Uh, for, for example, a new far, which is a large leaf, uh, you know, Genovese type uh, basil that, you know, a lot of growers have grown for its fusarium resistance. Well, it's really susceptible to downy mildew. So um, this is, this is a disease that you have to, if you are growing any substantive amount of basil, you really need to execute a judicious disease management protocol for these because it, you know, you may not have it in your greenhouse, but 
like I said, spores can blow from a really long distance away. Anybody who's got downy mildew in their basil out in their backyard or what have you can be the could you know can be the source of inoculum if you're trying to do some later season herb production uh, as a you know part of your sales model, what have you. Um, you really need to stay on top of this. Um, so, environmental conditions that are most conducive to um, to sporulation are 85 and higher percent relative humidity in the greenhouse, or rather in the plant canopy. You may have drier air out by your your you know humidity sensor, but it's actually the environment in that leaf canopy that's critical. Um, and sporulation, the optimal optimal temperature for growth is 68, which a lot of greenhouses run their air temperatures around 68, you know, uh, upper, upper 60s, mid to low 70s. Um, so it's kind of that sweet spot. And this is why it's such a huge problem for greenhouse growers. Um, if you see those kind of gray fuzzy spores starting to, uh, starting to grow on the underside of the leaf, it's too late. So that means you either miss the, you miss the boat on, uh, on a fungicide, on a critical fungicide application, you didn't get, you know, if it wasn't a systemic uh, product, you didn't get, you know, appropriate coverage, so forth. So it's really, really critical to stay on top of your, um, uh, your management program. Now there are, you know, you, we can't rely on one avenue of control to manage this disease because again, it's super aggressive. So really, successful downy, basal downy mildew management programs come down to incorporating all three of the components here, environmental, cultural, and chemical control strategies to, you know, keep your crop from uh, getting burned out by downy mildew. From an environmental standpoint, if you can keep your relative humidity low, so again, below that 85%, you're, you know, that's, that's going to set you up for a lot better success in managing this disease. Um, so if you have HAF fans, make sure that those are running pretty constantly, you know, moving that humid, you know, trying to move humid air uh, out of your greenhouse. Um, you may, depending on your volume of basal production, you may want to consider vertical airflow. Um, so having fans that are literally blowing air from, you know, from the superstructure area of the greenhouse down into the crop to help blast some of that humid air inside the canopy away. Um, you know, hydroponic lettuce growers and stuff use that for, to, to help reduce tip burn. Um, and you could also use this as a tool to help reduce that relative humidity in the canopy, again, where it's most important for managing this disease. Um, periodical uh, vent, heating and venting cycles or burping your greenhouse can go a really long way in helping blast some of that nice humid air out, uh, out from the canopy and out of the greenhouse. And also a really interesting strategy that uh, came out of some research that was done, I believe, at Rensselaer Polytechnic in New York. Um, they found that night interruption lighting uh, using red light uh, actually helps suppress spore germination for basal downy mildew. Um, so really they need about seven hours of darkness to, to, to sporulate and to grow prolifically. Well, if you can interrupt that, so especially in that first six hours of, of your night period, that's actually a really effective way to, so, so basically, you know, the, the same way you would do night interruption lighting for mums or poinsettias, whatever, 
um, you can deploy that same strategy to help suppress downy mildew. Keep in mind, this is gonna be more effective when the crop is younger, the canopy is less dense, because if you can't get good light penetration through that canopy, you know, it may, it may suppress spore germination up top, but lower down in the canopy, if the light's not intense enough, it's not perceiving that light period, it's not gonna be as effective. Um, cultural management. So pretty much the only way that this is coming in early season, because this is an obligate parasite. It needs to have living tissue to reside in. So in the winter time, obviously there's no basil, there's nothing alive outside growing. Um, so it's gonna come in on seed. Make sure that you're getting your seed from a reputable source. There's only one lab that I'm aware of that can, uh, that can do, that can screen for, or that does screen for basal downy mildew, the uh, Paranospora fungus. It's very hard to culture, so it's not really a reliable means for determining, you know, whether or not the seed is clean. Um, so this is kind of a, if you're growing basil, you're, you're taking on this risk with the understanding that there isn't really a good way for us as an industry to screen and test for it. Unlike other things where you know, seed testing can culture different bacterial or fungal path or, or viral pathogens um, out of that seed. Uh, grow if you can. Um, if you have the flexibility to do some variety selection, I'd encourage you to check out uh, resistant varieties. A bunch of different breeding programs are trying to are trying to produce downy mildew resistant basil. Um, a bunch of different ones came out of Rutgers program. Um, I know Parent American, I believe we're, we've, we've got some uh, downy mildew resistance breeding in the works. Um, I know Proven Winners put one out as well. Um, but something to keep in mind with choosing resistant varieties, yield may be impacted, specific flavor profiles may be impacted. So, and this is just a function of breeding for disease resistance. It may not be that, you know, that, that huge, massive, you know, large leaf, you know, Italian basil um, that you are used to growing, that your customers are used to buying, but um, there are options out there. Uh, avoid overhead watering if you can. Again, this is you know, talking about reducing relative humidity in the canopy. Um, if you can keep water off the leaf surface and you can keep that, that humidity built, you know, that regular humidity buildup in the canopy, uh, if you can keep that a little bit lower by avoiding wetting the leaf surface, it's an excellent way to help control things. And then monitor your crops really judiciously. Um, so again, keep an eye out for those early signs, those early symptoms that, that, that little kind of mottled chlorosis on the leaf. Um, and don't be afraid to rogue out plants that you suspect may have downy mildew because by the time, again, by the time those spores are starting to come out of the underside of leaf, it's too late. And then, as I said, chemical management of basal downy mildew is pretty much essential for anybody who's doing uh, any large, any reasonable volume of uh, containerized basal production. Um, there are biological and biorational uh, fungicides that you can use. However, there are not many studies that show consistent control at the level that you need um, to actually manage basal downy mildew. So I really encourage you to uh, 
um, look, you know, look towards some of these traditional chemistries, it's gonna, you're gonna have a much, much greater odds of success. Um, that being said, I've worked with a grower who did completely organic herb production, including basil um, for a higher end grocer. And they actually, you know, by exercising really strict protocols, doing major efforts for that night interruption lighting, they've been successful, not completely downy mildew free, but they've had good success. So you can do it, but unless you have very, very strict protocols and access to, you know, access to really, you know, premium production environment with a lot of ability to dehumidify, again, run those lights, um, you're going to be better off taking a, you know, hedging your bets and, and staying on the safe side with some of the traditional chemistries out there. Um, now, as I mentioned earlier, downy, basil downy mildew is pretty good at building resistance to different active ingredients. So rotating these frac groups or the fungicide, fungicide, uh, oh gosh, I'm drawing a blank on the, on the acronym right now. Um, fungicide research, or resistance action committee. There we go. Um, it's really critical to rotate frac groups. So your active ingredients so that this organism doesn't build up resistance to those chemistries. Um, we have, uh, we have a protocol that, um, that we put together, um, in our, um, at risk document for, uh, basil. Um, so it has some of the specifics, you know, progression on, you know, day, you know, uh, on which day, which weeks you should be uh, applying different chemistries. Um, but really, the, the really effective chemistries that, that have, that, you know, that have been screened for managing basal downy mildew are products like Subdue Max, Segovis, Mycora, uh, Ranman, and using some of those in combination with, uh, uh, with, these phosphonate products. There's a whole bunch of different ones out there. I just listed two, um, but there's you know, close to a dozen uh, different. They're basically um, potassium, or they're basically phosphonic acid um, based products. Uh, so you want to use you want to use that in combination with these other chemistries to achieve robust control. Again, rotate um, a lot of these. Uh, have a restriction on the number of times that you can apply it to a crop. Most of them, um, you know, again, Heritage, Mycora, Segova, Subdue, you're only, you're only able to apply it to a given crop twice in its entire production cycle. And typically, they'll, on the label, it'll say limits to one, one application per production stage. So you could only supply, or you could only apply Heritage, Mycora, Segova, or Subdue to basal plugs one time, and then you can only apply that chemistry again one more time in the finished production stage. Um, you know, again, getting on top of the spray protocol and enacting preventative management with these chemistries is critical. Um, uh, I, I can't emphasize that enough. So if you have any questions on spray protocol, spray protocols or, or our, the spray program we're recommending, please give me a call, shoot me an email, um, because this is, a, this is a tough nut to crack, if you will. And that pretty much covers everything that I've got on uh, basal downy mildew. 
Well, and it's, it's interesting. You hear basil come up in so many discussions because it is such a highly produced greenhouse crop um, for yeah. homeowner use. Um, and well, it, and it, it is the number one most economically significant culinary herb in the United States. It is it, it total market value and consumption dwarfs that of all the other herbs out there. So it is really important. Well, and it's good. I think that, uh, you know, you, you covered a lot in what to look for. Um, certainly the preventative maintenance is critical and then getting into the solutions, um, which does kind of lead me to, before we wrap up, I will call out some of these additional resources to check out, um, including the rotation, rotation and use chart um, that, that Nick mentioned. Um, we do have at-risk crop guides and white papers available at ballseed.com slash quick culture slash production guides. I'll also put those links in the show notes, both for the video and audio version of this presentation. Um, and I'll do a quick plug for the uh, Tech On Demand podcast brought to you by Grower Talks. So in addition to episodes like this one, you're going to find all sorts of topics covered with more and more coming all the time. Uh, subscribe to Tech On Demand on your favorite podcast app that you can subscribe through Apple, Google, Spotify, pretty much any podcast app you use. Um, or just go to growertalks.com slash tech on demand. So uh, Nick, this has been really good stuff. I know that everyone out there growing basil um, should be continuously educating themselves on this, sharing this information with their team. Um, but you gave a lot of very good information. So as always, thank you for, for all that you do and for all that the technical services team does to help growers out there as they produce these at-risk crops which are so important to the market, like you mentioned. So again, Nick, thank you so much. Absolutely. Very happy to be here. Thanks again for having me. Anytime, anytime. I'm Bill Calkins with Tech On Demand, wishing you a fantastic season. Take care out there and uh, grow these clean crops so that uh, I can put them on my pizza. <laughs>